this week on Motorsport 101, we're going to recap the ultimate thrill ride that involved the champion going over, and that ultimate thrill ride was the Mexico City E-Prix. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to episode 80, 80 of Motorsport 101. I'm your friendly neighbor, that's Mr. Andre Harrison, and I bring to you good news. It is a four-man booth on this week's episode, ladies and gentlemen. Um, can't wait to get started, but in the meantime, let's introduce the esteemed panel. In the red corner, Mr. Ryan Eric King. <laughs> yes, and I just realized that Lucas Agrassi has never won a championship. As you do. <laughs> How could you have just realized that there's only been two championships handed out? Exactly. What? No, no, no. What I mean, what I mean, never. I mean, never. The oh, last. So, uh, yes. so this is like a Mark Webber kind of deal before he yes. finally won one. The, the last quote-unquote championship mm. he's won, if you count it as such, is him winning the 2005 Macau Grand Prix. Oh, for God's sake! That doesn't even count. It counts on his head. It, it counts on his Tinder profile, maybe. But <laughs> <laughs> I won the Macau Grand Prix once. I'm a perennial Formula E contender. More on that later. In the in the green corner, Mr. RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. Hello, hello. Um, that it is I, Mr. RJ O'Connell, also newly minted contributor to the staff of DailySportsCard.com, where you will be seeing Woo! the right for yes. them. Over the course of the season, covering the Super GT Series, which I believe we'll talk about later on this episode. Congratulations, my friend. Congratulations. A, a delightful gig there for you. Yeah. For those guys that aren't aware, RJ's passion slash masochism for Japanese motorsport is, quite frankly, rather ridiculous. So I'm glad that at least more people get to see this crazy thing that RJ loves so much. And I'm delighted for him because he, he is a good. He is, he is a very good. And he, I mean, he absolutely deserves all the success. And on the guest role this time around in the yellow corner, representing Mystery Science Theater F1 and still making jokes about my face. <laughs> Check out the Australia episode for more on that. Mr. Matt Conero. Hello, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, beautiful listeners of Motorsport 101, I have returned with the gift of Matt. Drink it in, man. <laughs> Drink it in. Moscow, Moscow. La 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 You know what happens? You know what happens? You know what happens when you exploit Andre's face for a video? You know what happens, Matt? Huh? You just made the list! No! People die! <laughs> yeah. I must say, I'm pretty sure this week Dre made a lot of lists. Yeah. <laughs> he did. Mm. Mm. Damn you, King. Damn you, King. We'll More on that. that. More on that in a minute. But if you haven't seen it, the 2017 season on Mystery Science Theatre F1 just got started. Australia is amazing. The intro is amazing. My face is beautiful as always. Um, it's it's well worth a watch. Um, if you haven't already, if you haven't, why the hell haven't you subscribed to MSTF One by now? What is go wrong with it. you people? Go do it now. Do, do it. it now, damn it. Why the do hell it are now. you listening to us? Go subscribe to it and then come back and listen to us. 
Yes, we're on demand. It's the, it's, it's like it's, it's the joys of being in a 2017 society. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it, it, subscribe to MSTF One already. Please do it. Um, you, you even get to see me. I'm, I, I, I make a cameo appearance in this episode. Not the cameo I would have liked, but hey, there you go. Matt now officially owes me one. I do. I do. <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> like, the first time I saw that, I genuinely had no idea. I was watching it with Brother Ryan, and I sat down, and I just went, Oh my god! <laughs> I just covered my face in my hands, and I was like, Oh my god, And that no. was just the picture of Vettel floating around with, like, the Mountain Dew patch on his chest. That needs to be my new profile picture, quite frankly. That, like, that is just, like, me in a nutshell right there. Yep. Like, that is my aesthetic right I'll send there. it over to you later on, then. boy, Matt. This is why we appreciate you around here. No problem. <laughs> La, 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 la. Right, where you can find us on social media before we get into the meat and potatoes of this week's episode, you can find us on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. We talk about Antonio Giovinazzi's F1 debut on there this week. It's from last week's episode. It's a joyous time indeed. You can catch us on facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. You can fa- catch us on Twitter at twitter underscore, was it at, sorry, I should say at underscore. No, at motorsport underscore 101. Lewis is so much better at this than I am. I botched harder than Jeff Hardy on that one. That's not a good look. Um, and if you really, really like us, you can back us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101. And while you're on there, you can check out last night's weekly hangout. The first one we had on the YouTube. It was a very fun time indeed. Who knows? I might give, I might give away some more shirts on them. Um, it was a fun time indeed and uh, yeah just coming off after it was kind of hype because we were coming off like a day of a, a ton of British motorsport not only that BTCC watching but also like Robot Wars one of the best Top Gear episodes ever and I'm not exaggerating when I say this at all um and then, of course, all of that, and then me on, on Hangout for two hours. It was a great night. Um, but, uh, yeah, let's get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. Let's get into Keeping It 101. And um, if this was a video podcast, everybody would be looking in my direction right now. It's like, it's been a fun week on Twitter. <laughs> it really has. <laughs> and it's um, only Monday. <laughs> it's only Monday. Depends which Monday you're referring to, because it's been a long week. And I've got to go back and explain a lot of this. <laughs> I was uh, really hoping Sarah was going to be on this week's podcast. We tried to get Sarah on. She's at work, unfortunately. But she would have been a better explanation to this than me. But this goes back to last week. Last, this time, this was literally blowing up minutes after we stopped recording episode 79 last week. That basically, Twitter had gone into haywire. Because, friend of the show, and you, you, we know where we love her, Miss Sarah Connors, posted a petition on change.org we're hoping to get rid of a gallery of grid girls on motorsport.com known as paddock beauties and um the goal was to get 200 signatures on this piece and a lot of a lot of the f1 twitterverse were basically like this is no big deal why you like why are you making a big deal out of this why are you taking jobs out of the industry etc 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 and i was one of the people that was very active shall we say <laughs> on twitter mm-hmm. in in defending sarah's petition yeah. i think and... a lot of us were i think i i kind of stayed out of it mostly because i yeah. was kind of in the mindset of what well what could i say that hasn't already been said i know a lot of us were very involved in it as well to varying mm-hmm. extents but dre you got yourself right in the uh, right in the thick of it 
like this is my aesthetic. I I I don't do half measures, Mister O'Connell. Unfortunately, <laughs> I went I went balls deep in that ass, so to speak. And um, yeah, it I I resulted in for day twenty eight of the thirteen thirty, which is now completed. Hooray! Yeah, Woo! we did it. We did it. Yeah. Over thirty six thousand words written by me in the course of March. Um, that's kind of insane but i don't know how you editors do it more on that later but um yeah i got into the thick of it i in a fit of emotional distress let's call it i wrote a blog on it for day 28 of the 1330 called the gender agenda and let's just say i kind of shit the bed from a journalistic standpoint on this one there is a valuable lesson to be learned here folks don't write when amped up. <laughs> it, it works about three times out of ten. And yeah, it's a bit like putting money on red and black on a roulette table and it comes up green. Uh, it's it's not ideal, to say the least. And um, yeah, I... I, I I mentioned there was, there was two major boo-boos in that, in that piece I wrote that have now since been removed in that post. The first one was me throwing a good friend under the bus... I'm not going to name this person, but I know a certain Ryan King knows who I'm talking about here. Um, this person is a woman. This person is a editor on MotoGP.com. And after I basically threw her opinion under the bus because she's on Dorna's payroll. And I've said it many a time. I think Dorna is the worst in the book for exploitation of women and grid girls, etc. I mean, they have... Highlight and they're videos. Certainly not the only ones, which is kind of why mm-hmm. we're so we're so mm-hmm. amped up about this subject, especially lately, and why we're just yep. trying to get people to listen. Yes, and yeah, I kind of used the fact that this person works for Dawna against her, and that was a mistake on my part. We've all seen it on Twitter with people with the bios of, for example, my views do not represent my employer. And that's fair. That's that's reasonable. Yes. And, and it that... works the other way around. Your employer's mm-hmm. views don't necessarily reflect your views. Exactly. And that was the mistake I made. I ignored that when writing in a fit of blind rage. And this person is someone I've got a lot of respect for, a lot of time for. She's been a good friend of mine for about three or four years on Twitter. She, I was very proud of her when she got the gig because like, she was just a blogger like me at one point. And... She always wrote the most incredible articles on MotoGP. Like, one of them was comparing Fabio Quattararo and his him making his GP debut at 15 in Moto3 and to Max Verstappen's debut in Formula 1 when he was 18. And even though I disagreed with a lot of what she said, it was a superbly written piece. She's an incredible writer. And... In trying to defend, in trying to defend the voices of certain women in motorsport, I silenced another one, and that was wrong of me. That was very wrong of me. That was completely stupid of me. And I have since apologised. I've I've spoken to this person in private, and I admit I kind of fucked up on this one. And I wholeheartedly hold my hands up to this one. I was genuinely rather annoyed at myself for that because it took her talking to me in per- in private to realize, wait, shit, that was really stupid of me. 
The second issue with this article was that I mentioned a certain YouTuber indirectly in the latter half of that post. That YouTuber was Tiamat Marduk, and I'm sure many of you know of him. He is the biggest F1 YouTuber on the internet. Has I think he hit 200,000 subs, I think, 24 hours ago or so at the time of recording. Congrats to him. Um, and I mentioned the fact his hairline is receding in that post to make an example. And, okay, a certain someone post put, you know, brought that to his attention he unfollowed me on Twitter, a certain other F, a prominent F1 YouTuber, he may or may not have just got a new job lately, called me a see you next Tuesday and said he'll never get anywhere in life with that attitude. I beg to differ, my paycheck says otherwise, but hey, there you go. Um, but in any case, it didn't go down well. A lot of the, a lot of like F1 YouTube decided to die on this hill and try to roast me on this one. Now... Here's my view on the situation, because I know you've all been asking for it, and I've been very talkative regarding this on Twitter on the Monday we're recording this. I owe my hands up. I think the quote that was taken was taken out of context. However, I do wholeheartedly admit it could very easily be misconstrued to make it look bad. Yes, because number one rule of writing anything, kids, word choice is important. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Like that I cannot deny. Again, it was taken out of context. I, I do wholeheartedly stand by that. I, I mean, I'm going to be rule of you on this one. I messed up on this one. I apologized. I wrote another. I wrote an apology on the website regarding this. Um, it's on there right now. It's called Double Standards F1 YouTube and Me. If you want to read my full explanation t- towards that, but I also wholeheartedly admit. Fucking hell, the F1 YouTube scene is toxic as fuck. And I, I have no I have no shame in, in standing by the particular part of the apology where I said, this space is toxic, this space is awful. And the amount of criticism and like being called every negative word under some, like the R word, describes someone's mental state, which I will not repeat on the air because that word upsets people. I'm not going to do that. But it's 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 amazing how petty the F1 YouTube space is to me at this point. And it's a shame that so many people chose this as the hill to die on when the last time something like this happened, like it was a matter of trying to defend the right to say edgy and potentially offensive jokes. That was the, like that's the thing I find so ironic about this is that like in the space where last time the community blew up it was over like the right to controversial jokes. This time, it's me calling a man bolding over the internet, and the entire internet is now throwing horseshit at me. Like, that I find amazing, quite frankly, at this rate. And, yeah, I I, I own my apology, but I don't apologize for the people that surround me in this space. And, unfortunately, I think a lot of us need to do better. And and that's me included. Again, I could have picked my words out better. I could have, you know, slept on my thoughts and wrote a more concise piece. I like to think I'm a better writer than that. But god damn. <laughs> the salt thrown out on here. It's amazing. And like being sent Shrek memes, having my mental status questioned when I'm already on the autistic spectrum was very nice of you to say. 
Um, you know, and then even Ben's own girlfriend trying to start shit with me. That was probably the funniest part of it all, because I know Matt saw this as well, <laughs> was when was when Niran tried to throw her under the bus and they didn't realise that was <laughs> Ben's girlfriend. That was the most hilarious part of all that. I, I did I see that after you mentioned it. Yes, it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> it's like... Naran, I know you're a fan of the show. God bless you, sir. You're amazing. <laughs> but um, yeah, like I think you may have almost one up me on that one. But like, I just wanted to get that off my chest and say, listen, I'm sorry for those that that I, I, I pissed off. Um, I apologize to Ben. The olive branch is extended. If you're listening to this, or if you read the apology and you want to reach out and we can talk about this, like gentlemen, consider me extending the olive branch right here. Um, I'm glad that I was able to talk to the said person in the first half, which I was genuinely more upset about than the second half, if I'm being honest with you. Um, I'm glad I was able to patch that one over, and um, I hope said person doesn't look at me in a more negative light as a result of this, because, again, I should know better, and I will own it, but I will, and I will take my L on this one, because... I did go too far on this one, and upon reflection, I could have worded myself better. But on the other side of the tree here, my god, am I glad I left the F1 YouTube scene <laughs> like a year, like the 15 months ago when I did, because that space is toxic, it's awful, and we're like when I've like the amount of shit I saw today, like the same, it's the same old people saying the same old things. And like, like Mickey Motion saying, like, "Oh, I told you, I told him all along he was a bad person." <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, he was tweeting, he was tweeting Ben, he was tweeting old pal Game Right. Remember him, King? Hey. <laughs> yeah, it was like, hey, I told you he was a bad guy, and he's trying to make out like he's the victim. And I'm like, listen, I apologized. I am no victim. I wholeheartedly admit I was wrong in this scenario. What more do you want me to do? Damn, it sounds <laughs> like, like a perpetual shit. 2012. It is! Like, for those guys that don't know, the F1 YouTube scene has been pretty shit since 2012. And I'm being real with you on this one, because... The, like, the, like, the pillar of this community was never its content. It was who was starting beef with who, who was fighting who... King was King one of this one, because he was around back in the days of Athlete VG versus Mickey Motions. Mm-hmm. And, like... It started into dissensions over who was getting early copies of F1 games, who was getting invited to Codemasters to help develop their games, the divide of big YouTube versus small YouTube, and who was entitled to what. And my name was always circulated in all this, and I've always been a rather active, outspoken voice in this in this market as a guy that used to be in this space. I'm kind of tired of that shit now. I really, I, even I have reached the end of my tether on this, so... It's 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 a toxic environment, and I've said this for some time. People want to deny it. The people that want to deny it are the people that think they can say whatever the hell they want on the internet without repercussion. And, and you know, if, if you're that sort of person, then more power to you. But the reality is, not everyone's going to take a joke like you do. Suck it up, quite frankly. But- adulthood, adulthood is just uh, one big process of learning uh, when and where to hold those L's. Yeah. And, and this is me thoroughly embracing and holding my L. I'm clutching it to my chest as we speak. I will grow this L into making myself a better person, a better writer, a better journalist, a better human being, generally speaking. Because, I, I mean, I mentioned it earlier in the 30 and 30 about how 
as a man and as a man in motorsport, I have still got a lot of sins to atone for as a fan growing up. And, you know, my general mentality, like, I was even caping for Vettel's Grid Boys joke still as early as January this year. Like, because he's Sep. So, of course, I felt like I had to defend his honour on this one, even though, really, he was being an idiot and he deserved to be called out on it. And I never got it until, like, last month, really. So, when little things like that are happening, I need to I need to reflect and I need to learn to do better. And that's that's just me as a human being, quite frankly. Um, so yeah, to, to, to Ben, I apologize to everybody else. Kiss my ass. Um, <laughs> quite frankly, um, yeah. again, to, to the person involved, I mentioned, again, I'm not going to mention their name. You know who you are. I apologize to you too. And hopefully that's the end of the matter. Let's talk some WrestleMania, y'all. <laughs> speaking, speaking of, uh, industries where there is a lot of pettiness and immature drama, um, man, professional wrestling. Professional wrestling would be pretty bad sometimes. It could also be pretty good. Matt, what did you think about WrestleMania? Uh, I thought it was overall nice. Like uh, I, I watched WrestleMania 32 last year, and I thought I remember just being bored out of my mind by the halfway through. But this one, it was a very, very, very much needed and large improvement overall. For all, just all the matches, I can't recount one that was I could consider that was really just plain bad. Like all of them were. Uh, at least average to great, so yeah, I, I was very satisfied. It was a great way to spend my Saturday, my Sunday night. I mean, goodness, it it had a it had so so dang much. Like there was almost this feeling of pessimism going into the event, and yes. coming mm-hmm. out of it, I would say that this is honestly one of the better WrestleManias that's ever been put on in like maybe the last ten or fifteen years just for how many really good to great matches there were on the card, how many um, historic moments with Jeff and Matt Hardy returning as a surprise entrant in the uh, four, in what is now the four-way uh, yes. raw tag team ladder match. Uh, um, probably the best moment of the night right there. Don't even... I, I mean, I, I, you could argue that... Perhaps the John Cena proposal could stop that, but I don't think so. No. Like I think I think John Cena's proposal will probably be the more mainstream thing because I did not know this until yeah. afterwards. But he had gone on, you know, the national morning show here in the U.S. The Today mm-hmm. Show and openly said, if he wins, he's going to propose. I did not know he made that claim oh. until <laughs> afterwards. I didn't know. So that either. apparently, like if you you know into like mainstream media and and you were watching WrestleMania, you knew what was going to happen. I had no idea, and I still was able to call that right. Ha! Go me! (laughs) (laughs) We had great matches Uh. with AJ Styles and Shane McMahon. Shane McMahon can actually wrestle on the mat and do submissions. This is the craziest timeline. 2017 (laughs) is weird. Chris Jericho and Kevin Owens had a good match. Probably not as good as it should have been, but still really good. Should have been for the Universal title. Yeah, should have Agreed. been. Agreed. Um, Brock Lesnar versus Goldberg. I expected a finishers only match. I got it, and it was actually <laughs> better than a lot of us would have expected. Yes, it was. It was a lot yep. better. Yeah, Goldberg lot actually longer. took a bump. Oh my! Goldberg took bumps on bumps that match. <laughs> yeah. How how long did it take to win him? Was it the first suplex or the second? I mean, it was the tenth. Yeah, it was like the tenth. It was yeah. the tenth suplex yep. and the second F five. 
Um, it was it was as uh, it was as Adam Blompier of What Culture said. It was a very entertaining blockbuster match. There wasn't going to be a lot of scientific wrestling. I don't even think they threw punches. There was just a lot of big and, moves. and just so we're clear for those who are into wrestling, yes, it is the man formerly known as Adam Blompier. Oh, of course. All right. King, um, King, you being yeah, that he, guy. He, what he, guy, he's, he's Blumpy now. <laughs> His name is Blumpy now. That guy. Oh, God's sake. <laughs> was, that there guy. Really, was there really only one moment in the show that we all universally agreed was not that great, and that was Bray Wyatt dropping the belt to Randy Orton at WrestleMania? Yeah, yeah that match Probably, was... Yes. It... it it, it felt like it felt too short. It felt too short. It felt like it had a, like a great concept behind it, but like it just felt so like strange and random. And like I like despite watching like every show leading up to it, I had, like no like no context to what was going on within the match. One be- at least two beers in, I thought the projections <laughs> onto the ring mat with the cockroaches and crickets were the greatest thing ever. <laughs> they were. Well, I have to admit, I liked them a lot. Yeah, I liked it, but I had it like, why is this cool. happening? <laughs> it, was, it was a good feud, and some really neat stuff happened. And just, I'm upset that I feel like the wrong person won, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who feels like this. Triple H versus Seth Rollins was one of the best told stories of the evening. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, despite it lasting for like only a month. It was still a very very well told. Should have been the match that was on on WrestleMania 32, but never mind that. Mm-hmm. Yes, remember, Seth Rollins had to wrestle this match on a bum knee and Triple H is almost 50. Yes. And it's, it's, it's hard to believe it's Trips is almost 50 now. Right to be. Yes. God. Uh, can we just talk about Triple H entering on <laughs> entering with a police motorcade on a tricycle? A tricycle. <laughs> and I'm like Because of course. Like if if there was like I think my younger brother mentioned to me during the show, it's like this really should have been like Goldberg's entrance. But instead of like Goldberg riding on a tricycle, like Goldberg should have been like in the back of like a SWAT van. Oh, <laughs> oh god, yes. Oh uh, just so dropping him would've... off on the entrance yeah. van. Oh my god, that would have been amazing. <laughs> I'd just like money helicopter in Brock Lesnar and he parachutes <laughs> out of the middle of the ring. <laughs> I and here comes this. the fan man. Yes. <laughs> WrestleMania 33 had a great stage. Um, everybody who produced the event um, is getting underpaid. I don't care how Agreed. much they're getting paid. It's still not enough. Like again, even if the set caught, even yeah, even if the set caught fire during the Undertaker's entrance, like as as much as people complain <laughs> about the WWE, whether you be like a diehard wrestling fan or a casual, the number one thing that the WWE has always done right: production value and quality. The way that they produce their material, like, absolutely. Uh, there are very few wrestling companies that can produce like quality material that is better produced than the WWE. Their, Very few their video editing team in particular um, condenses down often terrible feuds and makes them sound somewhat presentable before a big And they do match. it usually like with less than a week's notice. <laughs> like That's like their video thing. editors must be like just like mainlining like just IV like Red Bull straight into their veins to work. Yeah, probably just just Listen. a mix of Red Bull and caffeine and probably taking Adderall on top of that. Just, I, like, yeah, single just, track. I just, just want to mention as well. 
Yeah, I just mm. want to mention as well, like, I remember Shawn Michaels, when he had his retirement speech, I love that he gave a mention to Bob in the back, who's like the leader of the video editing mm-hmm. department, because he, he said thank, he thanked him for, and I quote, always making him look like a million bucks. And again, you're absolutely right. The, the video editing department, and this is coming from three video makers, one of them extremely active, and one of them in the... Dude does very technical work to make MSTF one a thing. Like, like I'm in awe of people like that because I would never have the patience and the resilience to do something like that. But they, they always produce a like again, as, as King wholeheartedly said, the production quality of the WWE is almost second to none in the world of sports. They are incredible. So, guys. The Hardys came back. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Matt and Jeff Hardy, surprise it. return in the Raw Tag Team Ladder Match. That I, was so sick. I couldn't believe it. After all they had done on their way out of the company because Jeff Hardy left on kind of bad terms and didn't really improve his stock in the first mm-hmm. couple of years he was away, Matt Hardy tried his hardest to get fired. And here they are. They're back. There is no such thing as a burn bridge in professional wrestling, and we're all the Not better all. for it. Yes. Um, I don't necessarily think they probably should have won the titles on the way in, but, you know, it was good. Yeah, I, 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 I think it was mean, that. Hey, all for, all for a cheap pop on WrestleMania, right? Yeah. And I would say, like, this is really, like, the culmination of, like, a lot of things. Like, the acceptance of digital media and professional wrestling, because that's kind of, like, how the Hardys blew up when they were away. Um, the fact, yep. like... Yeah, the broken... Yeah, the broken universe that you can do, like... Like, vignettes on YouTube and become insanely popular in professional wrestling and in sport in general is crazy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely agreed. I mean, sure. I mean, they were going to make the Hardys champions the moment they put them in there in a, in a friggin' ladder match at WrestleMania. How are the Hardys not going to win that? But the fact that, that Matt seemingly came out with the broken the broken universe gimmick that he's crafted for himself in TNA and on the internet. Jeff kind of had the old school look about him. It was like mixing together the best of both worlds because I remember Jeff Hardy in 2009 on the way out and he was doing some some of his, the best work of his career in 2009 before he popped his second wellness violation and then was out the door. Brother Ryan, who is the who is the biggest Jeff Hardy fan you will ever meet in your life, wholeheartedly agrees with this statement. Oh, God. I uh, s- only he was here to confirm Like, that. I still <laughs> remember, like... Uh, my younger generally fans of the Hardy Boys overall. I still remember WrestleMania 20. We still have uh, a photo with us with like uh, their autograph and Lita. And oh my god, like his reaction! I, I've never seen him happier in his life. <laughs> so I will throw this out there. This is the first time that Jeff Hardy's ever won at WrestleMania. Yes, that is true. This is the first time that Jeff Hardy has ever won at WrestleMania. <laughs> that is true. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and shout out to him for botching the swan top off the ladder because I botched my intro. I have to mention this now. Ha! We're even, Jeff. Um, good effort. I mean, he, he, did, he didn't quite stretch the leg out enough to catch Seamus Flush. God bless him. Because Jeff Hardy is still a mentalist. Um, I swear he's like the best part of 40 years old now and he's still throwing himself off 20 foot ladders. We sure this is a good idea. <laughs> yeah, he said it on the on the interview after the after the match. He said, "I'm 39 and I'm still jumping off ladders. This is amazing." He, he acknowledges himself. <laughs> <laughs> that is such a Jeff Hardy thing yeah. to say. <laughs> oh my god! No, like, but, so but I think the best part about that interview that's on YouTube, like, um, 
Matt Hardy later on he said that he claimed that they deleted the club's tag team reign. That was I, I believe that I he, he said that on the middle of the crowd. Feels. Mm, foreshadowing. <laughs> foreshadowing. But if anything, really good mania, y'all. Yeah, and we didn't even get yes. to the we didn't even get to probably the most significant part. The main yeah. event. Yes, the, the most bet- um, the most emotionally moving part. Um, mm-hmm. Roman Reigns versus The Undertaker. It had come out about a week that, that this match was going to get moved up to the main event because The Undertaker was going to retire. Surprise, an old man goes to retire in uh, in sunny central Florida. Um, <laughs> yes, um, it just so happens that Roman Reigns was the opponent they had penciled in to do the honors of retiring The Undertaker, which... I, I for one, am shocked at this news. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that is something, like, to those who are not in the know when it comes to professional wrestling, like, The Undertaker is probably the most respected guy in terms of pro wrestling. And the fact where... Um, uh, Noted dick Randy Orton did not want to be the guy to break this his legendary WrestleMania streak. Wow, that is yeah. amazing. That I didn't know. That is where, where, yeah, they they offered him like Randy Orton. Do you want to be um the guy to break the streak? Because it was you know at his time it was during his legend killer gimmick where he beat yeah. you know, all these nostalgic characters, and that'd be the apex of that where he would defeat the legend of legends Undertaker at WrestleMania. And he said no, like, like if if you know Randy Orton, you know he's pretty much noted. Like his character is just being a dick, and that's pretty yep. much him in real life. Yep. So you just assume he would just say yes right off the train. <laughs> no, even he has respect for this man to say no. I don't want to be that guy. Yep. Um, Roman Reigns wins the match. It was a pretty good match. I wouldn't say it was incredible. A, a good match. I think we were all more emotionally invested in the aftermath more than the match itself because we all know that most those that are into pro wrestling, even those that are more casual fans, know that the WWE really is making Roman Reigns their baby at the moment, and a lot of fans aren't happy with that and and the way he's been booked, etc. But this was about Taker. This was Taker's night. It was Taker's ending to the show. And it comes to the most iconic part of all. You've probably already seen it on social media today at some point. He takes um, off his him. gloves, his yep. jacket, his hat. He leaves it all in the middle of the ring. And then he walks down to the middle of the ramp, puts his fist up in the air. And in the in the smoke and haze of his entrance, he just lowers through the ramp, which was pretty awesome. That's Pretty kind of the way. Yeah, that's kind was. of the way he should go out. He's the last of a character. He's the last of those guys who really come from a from an era of pro wrestling that does not exist and would never get by today. And the yeah. way he just with his character, he lived the gimmicks. Yes, he what he did that. He reinvented himself several times over the years. He always commanded and gave so much respect behind the scenes. Um, it's it's hard to imagine professional wrestling without The Undertaker, who arguably was never the top guy in terms of being like a money-making draw like a Steve Austin or a Hulk Hogan or a John Cena or what have you, but was always the most respected figure in, this, in, in the business of professional wrestling. I think the word I would use to describe him most was sacred. Probably the most sacred thing professional wrestling had left was The Undertaker, and it's crazy to think that his career has spanned the best part of 30 years. 
that you could argue that's three decades worth of kids being influenced by the really the last real character the WWE has. And I know many fans call it the reality era now because that character gimmick driven side of the industry has seemingly been is seemingly being phased out now for more trying to make the sport was or trying to make it look as much as a sport as possible. But Taker was really the last bastion of character-driven wrestling, um, at least in the WWE. And again, like I, I watched. I've, I've been on and off watching wrestling for twenty odd years now, and I've seen him live through all those gimmicks. And he's one of the most influential. And again, people forget he's six foot ten. He's an incredible worker as well, like an, an unbelievably talented wrestler. Um, throughout the years as well, been in all the mo- all the brutal matches you can think of, all the technical masterpieces he's been in. And I still like I openly say this match with Shawn Michaels at Mania 25 got me back into wrestling, and that was later uh, in his career too. And don't yeah. forget some of the matches that he's also had with the likes of Triple H um, mm-hmm. later on in his career. He had a great match with Batista, had a great match with Edge. He had a pretty solid match with. Um, with Kurt Angle that wasn't at WrestleMania but was still awesome. No Way Out, yeah. I think it was, I think it was No Way Out, I want to say 2005 or six. I want to say. But, uh, I would say... Yeah. Uh, somebody in the comments quote me on that. But um, I'm, I for one am a little bit gutted we never got that big Mania match with John Cena. True. Yeah. That's what I wish but, would yes. happen for his retirement. I, I, I was wondering if he would actually win this match and then go on next year to fight John Cena, but apparently that's not going to happen. It's, it's a shame because I would have loved... Because I, I, I always said back in the days, I think giving John Cena the streak would have been the ultimate send-off for the man's incredible mm-hmm. career in the WWE. But, you know, you know, they gave it to Lesnar instead, which, again, is a debate for another day. But Yeah, I, like even with like Lesnar breaking the streak, I really feel like it's too soon to tell whether that was a good idea or not. Mm-hmm. We'll see how Lesnar's legacy in the WWE plays out over the next, you know, months and years. But a salute to the Undertaker, uh, one of the yeah. finest pro professional wrestlers of all time, one of the most one, important pro wrestlers of all time. Yeah. One, one of the things I really got to say about the Undertaker, it like you said, he is one of the last true characters. Like to me, that's one of the things that makes pro wrestling so fun and enjoyable to watch. Absolutely, that you don't have to. You don't have to take it seriously, but you can have these. Then you can have these characters that are larger than life, that are imposing, that that really feel that that the characters feel real. Absolutely, and the Undertaker was one of those characters where when you see a wrestler who's intimidated or afraid of the Undertaker feels legitimate and i remember as a kid yeah like the ministry of darkness was legitimately terrifying oh that was amazing <laughs> amazing i still remember two of my favorite taker moments one of them wasn't even in pro wrestling it was when ariel helwani is interviewing him during a ufc pay-per-view and he walks past brock lesnar as he's retreating to the oh, to the back yes. after losing to kane uh-huh. velasquez and Taker looks him in the eye and goes, "You want to go?" <laughs> 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 like that was amazing. It was like Helwani was interviewing Taker, at, and Taker like was still not really in character for that, but he, like he turned it on at a switch. It was amazing. Yeah, and, like the, like yeah. the man behind the character, Mark Calloway, he him himself, like you said, he's six foot ten. He's physically imposing, yeah. but him playing the Undertaker, he takes that that imposing figure and just brings it up to a whole nother like you know, comic book level. 
yeah, it's just it's like having Tony Stark right in front of you. It's ridiculous. It's like in, in acting, like you see, how Robert Downey Jr. is now basically Tony Stark at this point. It's it's the same <laughs> thing with it's the same thing with Taker. The other favorite moment was, and this is a very rare thing. I think it's the one of the very few times he broke character, but Ric Flair's retirement night on Raw, where. I don't know if I think it was after the credits rolled on. I think it was a post episode moment where the whole roster's out clapping for Ric Flair's retirement, which it still annoys me given he was in TNA like less than 18 <laughs> months later. But we don't but, talk about that. We don't talk about that. And anyway, but like after, I think after the, the show, the cameras had stopped rolling, the whole roster parts, Taker does his entrance and. He goes down on one knee in tribute to Ric Flair, and, he, and, and they embrace. I think that's the only time I can remember Taker properly breaking character as the Dead Man. That was uh, one of the most touching scenes I've ever seen in pro wrestling. It was a beautiful moment, and uh, yeah, to Mark, we salute you, sir, and thank you for everything you've done for professional wrestling. Because like, life needs larger than life characters sometimes, and you were certainly one of those. Anything else you guys want to get off your chest? It's been a long keeping it 101. Yeah. <laughs> but for good reason. Yeah, it's uh, maybe. Yeah, I, I think we're good. I think, I think we're good. Shall we talk about some Formula E? Yeah, yeah. buddy! Arguably the craziest race in what's already been a crazy Formula E existence so far. Let's talk about Formula E in Mexico City. And good news, everybody. Sebastian Buemi didn't win. What? (laughs) The streak is over. (laughs) A mixed bag of reactions there, I think you'll say. Um, (laughs) But... we have some life in this series. When we didn't score any points, and Lucas Degrassi won. Perfect. Hey, he Lucas didn't get Degrassi disqualified. Not only won, he he didn't get disqualified. <laughs> exactly. Disqualified. You, you mean Audi Rich. aren't a bunch of? You mean you mean Audi Sport aren't totally a bunch of stinking cheaters after Daniel had to start at the back? <laughs> right. Uh, so d- let's... At least half of them are not. Are not. Right. <laughs> Whatever you say, Matt. Like this is the third time Audi's been done breaking the rules, basically, <laughs> in Formula E, and have been punished for it. Like I said on Twitter, like, are we sure Audi are not just a bunch of dirty, stinking cheaters at this point? Because <laughs> it's like, how many times does this keep happening? I'm surprised Ambrosia didn't inherit the win again, like he always does. <laughs> but um, yeah, Lucas Degrassi um, was affected by an early safety car. I had to stop under the safety car after suffering rear wing damage early on. I can't remember who... I think it was Mark Engel that drove, Engel that drove into the back of him, I want to say. Uh, Mark um, Engel, yeah. Uh, that, that sounds about right. Mm. Of yeah. Course, I, of course, blame Giz for that, always. Blame yeah. Giz. It's, Gisberg's, it's Van Gisbergen's fault. Sorry, Johnson, if you're listening. Um, it's your mans. Come get your mans. But um, Degrassi had to stop under the safety car early. Um, and he went, I think, about three-quarter distance 
um, on the other car and after doing his one bit stop and he was able to lift and coast into making it work and still won the race by several seconds. Yeah. He, I still he, don't quite know how he did that. He pitted <laughs> on lap 17. Um, he and a 45 about, lap race. Yeah, he, uh, after the second safety car, he had about 30% less usable energy in his car than those behind him and Jerome D'Ambrosio in second. Um, so basically, his whole strategy was to just gap the field as quickly as he could and then coast from there. Um, when we say lift and coast, we mean extreme levels of lift and coast. And he was still able to bench the rest of the field because Jerome D'Ambrosio had basically played blocker for the day. Um, he oh, is that. <laughs> he he is basically that Australian batsman that is he's not going to score runs. He's going to block the wickets and bat out the day. He wants <laughs> the draw. That's Jerome D'Ambrosio, ladies and gentlemen. And sorry, I have Liz. to say, this, sorry Liz, but despite despite your man's incredible efforts, and sadly he didn't quite make the end. He ran out of usable power. He wasn't able to say out of desperate defending of John Eric Vern and Sam Bird behind him. Um, yeah, and Vern what a, was not happy about that defending either. Yep, he let, yeah. he let it all out after the end of the race. Yeah, Vern pretty much going on the record. And I, I think, how did he describe his driving again? I think it was idiotic, I think was the words he used. What D'Ambrosio um, did was totally unacceptable. He just doesn't know how to defend. He crashed too many times into me, forced me to go off the track. So I'm not a fan, said John Eric Vern after the race. This from the official FIA Formula E race report. So on a scale of 1 to 10, or 1 to me after today's post, how salty is John Eric Vern right now? Um, uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a U. He's, a, he's definitely a Dre. I give him a solid... Yeah. Wait, solid Danny's day. got the seat at Red Bull and not me? <laughs> <laughs> that's beyond the scale. Like, like I'm a 9. Like That's about a 14 right there. Holy shit. But, um, yeah, like... To a degree, I can kind of see where John Eric Verne is coming from on this, but I think, like a lot of things in motorsport, he was pointing his frustration in the wrong areas. It's not the fact that Jerome Nambrosio defended too hard. It's more the fact that these Formula E cars are not easy to overtake in. They are not. Period. They're not, they're not fast enough to make to make enough difference to, to, for cars to pass, at least in my opinion. It certainly feels like this track was a lot tougher to pass on than some others, because... It didn't seem like overtaking was that much of a problem in some of the earlier rounds in the championship, but here it just felt like, um, yeah, drivers were just having a hard time get around this layout for whatever reason. Probably might, might have been due to the one, turns. One noted the improvement. Stuff. One noted improvement. The, they removed the chicane at turn one and just yes. made it a 90-degree corner. Thank God. Like, a much better, I mean, in it's, my opinion. It's, it's 90-degree-ish, but it, it plays like a 90-degree corner, but it's definitely... A vast improvement over Chicane last year. So you mean that Nelson Piquet doesn't just drive through the damn thing like he did last year? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Happily not. Luckily, that is definitely an improvement. But uh, yeah, shout out to Jerome. Great effort. Just a shame that his car just didn't have the juice to be able to control it. And shout out to Oliver Turvey as well. So unlucky to be... And he inherited oh, pole no. position. Yeah, that was, super, that was heartbreaking. Super GT, former Super GT superstar Oliver Turvey gets his first pole <laughs> position, and then the car just dies. Boofed. Like, uh, fun fact, I met Sarah Connors because I have a signed Oliver Turvey poster on the wall she gave to me via a Formula E live stream. Ironically, I believe it was Mexico City last year that this happened. So how about that, everybody? 
there's a, that's how me and Sarah Connors met via mm. via a four minute e live stream on YouTube. Go me. Funny how the world works. It, 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 the world works in mysterious ways. So I will always cherish my signed Oliver Turvey poster because it came from her. <laughs> <laughs> but, so yeah, shout out to Paul Turvey. Uh, it's a shame again he inherited Paul because of apps disqualification, and he was leading the race, and his car just died. Oh, for God's sake! Like, can this take like the for- could formerly the next dev team get their shit together, please? Because they're like they deserve better their drivers in there. And this is me actually caping for Nelson PK, which is something I never thought I would actually do on this. And show. the road car is fantastic. Have you seen yeah. the NIO supercar? It's great. It looks insane. I want one. It's, it's insane. I want one in my life, and it, it's, apparently it's breaking every production speed record out there for an electric car, and it's insane. Um, but yeah, just just. Uh, uh, we haven't even touched on half the carnage yet. I mean, again, we mentioned Lucas winning and doesn't get DQ'd. Good for him. We mentioned Jerome's defensive driving and, you know, the hard effort he put in there. Remy bottled it, y'all. Yes! Uh, <laughs> like, I had, him, I had him down as the qualifying bottler, but he, t- he carried one into the race. He activates his fan boost in the second half of the race. For, I think he was in about seventh place when he did it. And mm-hmm. next thing you know, like... Further on, like Lopez, Pachito himself had spun it at turn one, and next thing you know, Buemi uh. and Outbreak has often done the exact same thing. Yeah, synchronized. Pa- Jose spinning. Maria Lopez spun out of the lead, and then all of a sudden, a few seconds later, here's Buemi doing the same thing at the same corner. <laughs> synchronized crashing, like uh. the same thing. The same thing happened in, in World Superbikes on Saturday qualifying, where three guys crashed on the same corner within 15 seconds of each other. <laughs> It was the strangest thing ever. Shout out to my man Greg Haynes who, who for mentioning that one on commentary. But uh, yeah, three spins in the space of 15 seconds. Formula E had two spins in the space of five seconds. Yeah. Great job, Sebastian. But yeah, Buemi would later fall to the back of the field. I believe it was the second last of cars that actually saw the checkered flag. Mm. So not only did Buemi not win, he doesn't get any points either, which I think has suddenly made it a four-point championship between Buemi and Degrassi now. It's five now. Uh, Buemi Mm -hmm. got a fast lap out of this race, but Degrassi, um, it's now like, I want to say it is, yes, it's 76 points to Buemi and 71 to Lucas Degrassi, which after the first three rounds, probably a bit closer than anybody had expected. And Buemi just had a terrible race by his standards because Mm -hmm. we kind of expected him to just claw through the field like he always seems to do. And for whatever reason, he just didn't. Yeah, he just couldn't do it on this one. And it was very weird to see that happen. It was also very, very audible on his on his car radio. RJ, do you you want to quote the man himself? Mm, Oh, I let me let me find that up here but yes it was it was very very it was a bad race for sebastian buemi by his standards and again this guy is the reigning champion he opened the year with three wins in a row um just not just not very very good did anybody see this the picture of him celebrating uh, he was at an inverted commas celebrating his fastest lap trophy (laughs) it's i don't think i did it's hilarious how miserable he looks holding the trophy. <laughs> uh, like, 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 he's not even holding the trophy. Like the person that's handing it is holding the trophy. Bremi looks like he'd rather be anywhere else in the world <laughs> than, 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 than holding mm-hmm. this meaningless, well, almost meaningless, fastest lap trophy for scoring a single point. It's just, it's it is hilarious. It is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> you know that, that incident between Pachito and Bremi. As a, I'm a Sam Bird fan, so by proxy, I'm also a Virgin fan. It, 
it it was quite the roller coaster because I, I saw Pechito going off and I'm going ah shouting my lungs out, but then I see Buemi in there and then I just freeze. I don't know what to do. I, I just go silent looking. What the hell's going on now? Mm-hmm. The, it was crazy, and that wasn't was. even arguably the craziest part of the race. We still haven't even mentioned the fact that. There was an enormous penultimate lap pileup yep. as Nicholas Prost knocked out and spins out Nick Heinfeld, and Heinfeld has got nowhere to go as Felix Ruckenfist basically T-bones his own man and puts himself out of the race. Yeah, Rosenquist <laughs> just had nowhere to go, and this just goes to prove that the combination of Prost and Heinfeld, historically, as we saw in 2000 and again in 2017, is never a good thing. <laughs> or 2015 for that matter that's true that's true Prost and Heidfeld it's never been a good combination no <laughs> and once, and so Prost tries a, an ambitious pass at best into the stadium section doesn't get it spins out Heinfeld Heinfeld's got nowhere to go and Felix just basically drives over him um, Felix is out of the race Nicholas Prost you know what I love about this I don't know if you saw the pictures about this in the press releases after the race but Edams were like, oh, Heinfeld and Prost collided with each other. And Mahindra was like, Prost took us out. <laughs> um, I have the quote, and it's and it's uh, just as simple. That race was ship high on transfer from Wemmy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Try, to get crap. Try to get the crap past the radar there? Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Just, just, trying to, just trying to make this a one smooth movement. Um, so Jaguar got their first points with, with Mitchell Evans in fourth and uh, Adam Carroll in eighth. Yes. Um, that's does, their, does, that's does, their first points. Does this, does this mean we have to compliment Mitch Evans now? Um, it, it, I'm just, I'm, I'm only going to say that Mitchell Evans finished fourth in a Formula uh, E sanctioned race for points. Matt, I swear to God, he crossed the line at zero. I, I, I'm <laughs> not seeing things. <laughs> I don't care what anyone tells me. Either the graphic is slow or Evans crossed the line with nil. I'm dead certain on this. I want you to find the footage. (laughs) To be fair, I was more excited about seeing Burn on the podium, so I cannot confirm that right now. The bird is the word. Bird up up making it to third place behind Vern and and Lucas Degrassi on the podium. can we say that as a podcast, we all universally actually quite like Sam Bird? Because yes. I do. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, it's like, yeah, should we make Sam Bird the official formulary adoptive son of Motorsport 101? Yes. Are we, yes? Are we okay with this? Yes! Sam Bird is our new son, y'all. Burn up, motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> we have adopted Sam Bird as our new podcasting son. <laughs> Congratulations, Sam. You're in. You're invited to participate. Yeah, invited to podcast. We'll, we'll, We'll have we'll have your spot on Mount Nivelt sealed up by next week. <laughs> but, uh, slow, slow, slow down just a bit. How de- okay, I know you want to, you don't want to desecrate your magnum opus on the website, King. Okay, we're not going to interfere with Mike Nivelt. Okay, it's all yours. So we had but, uh, Degrassi winning from Vern and Sam Bird in third, Evans in fourth. We had Nicholas Pross somehow coming home in fifth, uh, despite and he his wasn't ball- disqualified. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Lopez came back to finish sits after spinning from the lead. Uh, Daniel App came from the back to finish seventh. Um, Adam Carroll was eighth. Nelson Piquet Jr. was ninth. And in tenth place in his very first Formula E race at home, Esteban Gutierrez, 
who finished one place ahead of his projected target. Got on, Projected target. <laughs> um, I'm delighted for Esteban, and like I like that everybody was actually praising Esteban for finishing tenth. And I was I said on Twitter, it's almost like Esteban was actually a pretty good driver, just dealt a shit hand in Formula One, and nobody knew it. <laughs> it's one of those if a tree falls in the forest and no one heard it moment right here. But um, I'm delighted for Esteban. And he's always been a really solid driver, and you know maybe Formula E can be the place where he eventually shines because he's a he's a very talented dude, and he, he was just, I think he was just dealt a bad hand in F one, you know, having to go up against Nico Hulkenberg mm-hmm. from the moment he debuted, and then getting Romain Grosjean in the other car and actually outracing Grosjean on multiple occasions last year, but still losing his job to Kevin Never Give Up the Dream Magnussen. God damn it, I'm getting my cape out for Esteban. <laughs> Esteban deserves better, y'all. <laughs> Never fancied you but in Esteban, Stan. Somebody has to do it, okay? I, I will, <laughs> Look, if Sarah Connors is adopting Canadians as sons at this point, I might as well get the cape out for Esteban a little bit, okay? It's that sort of world. <laughs> yeah, build borders, not walls. Build Only borders. one previous owner, a Mr. W. Butston. less on that the better so um did we all agree that this race was at least fun and entertaining as i watched my baseball team go down two runs to some minor league club in new york yes (laughs) (laughs) yes it was very fun sorry rj it was it, it was it was it was crazy it was an absolutely ridiculous race one of the most ridiculous in formula history and that is saying something given this series has had many a bonkers race already i remember future jaya from season two i have a hat from the future jaya season two race that is signed by both um team aguri drivers da costa and nathaniel berthon yeah, see, that's the thing. This would be considered a humble brag right now if it wasn't for the fact that I also have a signed Amdenaguri cap in my wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> Harrison! You call up right there. One of us has to go change. <laughs> and I got mine in season one, so it's going to have to be you, Mr. O'Connell. Get back in the wardrobe right now. Uh, fine. <laughs> While RJ gets changed, it's also one annoying thing to point out. We've got six weeks now till the next race at Monaco. Uh... Six. Like, the momentum that this series ends up just killing itself with is just so not fun, man. (laughs) No, the hype hype just doesn't carry over from one race to the other with these mega gaps. You're going to have to make another another one of those, um, those, like they did for... Flipping Buenos Aires, they're gonna have to do another season opener montage to refresh our memories. <laughs> oh my god! Like, but but the way the season ends, though, it ends with back to back double headers. Well, not exactly back to back. There's you know, a there's a weekend off gap between that. But you mm-hmm. end up having four like four races in three weeks. Could be worse. <laughs> that, that helps a little bit. It helps. Yeah. Could be worse. I mean, luckily there's not going to be that many WEC casualties either, given that the conflict has not actually affected as many people as we thought it was going to, mm-hmm. which is you know definitely a plus no matter which way you slice it. But I have to say as well, I don't know how many of you people saw it. I don't think any of you did, but we've been from the UK. This was on Channel 5. And Channel 5 studio <laughs> for their Formula E broadcast was a joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was... like. I mean, number one question, why have a studio? Like, the content that 
that Unworld feed is good enough. Exactly. Like, <laughs> there is no need... Like, to be fair, when ITV4 was doing their coverage, they actually had a pretty nice-looking set. You know, they, had, they had a proper yeah, set. Yeah, but why do they you had... need it when you have all this great pre-race content from Jack and Nikki and Dario and now Bob Varsha? Uncle Bob yeah. is part of the announcement. Uh, uncle, Bob. uncle Bob. Bob's back. Bobby. Bob's back. Ah. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's like you're absolutely right because I mean, don't get me wrong. No disrespect to Jenny Gal. They had they had him. They had Mark Priestley on their pre-race. They had Jaime Aguasuari on their pre-race a lot, and it was a nice looking studio and all that, and it was very good. I'm not disputing that for a second, but you're absolutely right. I've said it before, and I'll say it here too. Nikki Shields, Jack Nichols, and Dario Franchitti is one of the best combinations of broadcasters in motorsport. Period. Like yes. they are so good. Like Nichols and Franchitti are an amazing commentary pairing. Like Uncle Bob is in there, and he's got like the best voice of all time, <laughs> as it is. And then you got Nikki Shields, who's like a, a top tier reporter on on any level. She's fantastic. So when you combine all of that. And their their pre race coverage is is fantastic. Like the world feed, I, I completely agree, would be enough. And Channel Five only showed the world feed for quite a while, so, so I don't know why they thought, oh, this you know what will make it better? We have a studio in our closet that we film. We put a great big border up, one podium, a few pages of notes, and Karun Chanok on the other chair. Between now, again, two ferns, with Zach Galifianakis had more production value, and that's saying something. <laughs> exactly, and. This is a shame because I think it's a, a waste of someone like Karun Chanok, who, again, is one of the finest pundits in the business um, for F1, and I think he's fantastic on Channel 4. But uh, just wasted on Channel 5. And just it, it looks second-rate on TV, and that's what everybody who was watching the race on Channel 5 was saying. And it was a good time slot. It was 10.30 at night um, on Saturday night. Not much... I mean, actually, to be fair, it was a terrible slot because it clashes with match of the day. But uh, in any case... Like, they tried, but Channel 5, do better. Didn't they Just also d- cut away, like, immediately after the checkered flag of the race? They did. in fairness, Fox Sports kind of did that, too, because of yeah. time constraints. They cut to commercial 10 seconds after the race finished. Not even exaggerated. Oof. It was seconds off, like, oh, yeah... See, so yeah, Lucas Degrassi wins in Mexico, and the next thing you know, you, you see, you see um, Sandberg over, you see Evans finish up, and then they cut to commercial straight away, and like they they come back, they cut to the studio for the guy presenting the coverage to go and back to Mexico City, and I'm like, what was the point? <laughs> <laughs> it was like the Channel Five broadcast was terrible, and it's a shame because it's like every little influencing factor that Channel Five has done has made the coverage seem worse than what it actually is which is really annoying because what they do have is really good so yeah i'm annoyed at channel 5 not for the first time ever they stole robot wars at one point and that made me sad enough as it is mm, but, um, poor, poor little what it all means my microphone falls off the stand again, <laughs> again? this keeps ha- this keeps happening it's terrible <laughs> I'm a I'm a derp. Sometimes I really am. You're, you're, you're just very, you're just very agitated. We 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 forgive you. It's understandable. But like my right hand is just flailing around rapidly right now. It's mm. terrible. But um, anything else you want to get with just about Formula E, or do you want to cut to the news? I believe we have covered all the e e e exciting e e enthralling um e action e entertaining. You yeah. guys are the any, worst. Any other, any other e coverage would be pretty much news. 
I hate you all. <laughs> we love you too, What is wrong with... What is wrong with you people? <laughs> we can do better than this, y'all. Try and be uh, hip, cool, trendy for the trendy for the youth. Yeah, the millennials. <laughs> we we gotta speak to them in memes. We gotta dab more. <laughs> you gotta dab. More. Yeah, yeah, Dre. Tell your man to dab all the time now. Got more dabs. I support, I support Manchester United, Paul, who have Paul Pogba and Jesse Lingard in their team, who are basically the last two people on earth that are still dabbing at this point, okay? <laughs> I am not the man to be talking about dabbing, okay? Our corner has got this. It's everybody else that's the problem, okay? <laughs> yeah. Only Manchester United players and McElroy brothers at this point are given free reign to dab in the year 2017, and that's it. The McElroy brothers do this still? Yes. God damn. <laughs> Listen, I've already made it clear on this podcast in the past that Roy McElroy is a herb, okay? <laughs> like, <laughs> like who ditches a woman by text message? But, um, <laughs> side note this slide, let's move away from Formula E and let's warmly and cuddly and embrace the news and the mailbag. We have all oh. the usual features on the news. Wait, that's not our gimmick. <laughs> Depends. Some of it might be real, some of it might not be. Who knows? It'll be fun. Um, but let's get into the news. And King, first up, apparently F1's going for noisier and cheaper engines. Loud noises! Maybe. Oh, dear God. Apparently. <laughs> King, will you, will you settle this fake news for us? Now, I'd like RJ... To, to start, and I'll I'll insert corrections where needed because I feel like if I'm, I'm if I'm giving free reign, the press aren't gonna like me very much, oh, or right. as the I, hip I, new <laughs> or the hip new thing to say, mainstream media won't like me very much. Let's um let's just start how very off with how the, very presidential with the headline <laughs> um from from the Motorsport Network. F1 Grand agrees plan for cheaper and noisier engines. April Fools. Oh, no, sorry, wait. I know this was published on April 1st, but this actually wasn't an April Fool's joke. Sort of. Yes. <laughs> I was very surprised to hear that that the, that the, the, the committee actually decided on something. Yep. Formula One looks set to ditch the current turbo hybrid power units in favor of cheaper and noisier engines from 2021, following a meeting to discuss new rules in Paris on Friday. Yes, yep, every, everything's good so far. All right, all right. <laughs> uh, President, FIA President John Tolt met with F1's current manufacturers plus current representatives from outside the sport, including the Volkswagen Group, to discuss whether or not Grand Prix racing should look at a different type of power unit in the future. We're still good. Yeah, still good, still good. Still okay. good. That, that's exactly... All right, um, following these discussions, a broad agreement was reached about a new path for F1 to follow... Uh, which will likely result in abandoning the 1.6-liter turbo hybrid units, even though some of the technology may remain. Hmm. Yes. Mm. All right. It, although discussions to frame the exact specification of engines will take several years, the FIA issued a statement on Saturday that broad outline of goals had been agreed. Do, does the, the article state what the goals are? Um, it had stated that a bare agreement <laughs> for the engines may be relevant, but at the same time becoming simpler and cheaper to develop. Furthermore, yes. do the... you see? Do you, do you see anything about sound there? Can I just say? Can I just say? I love the fact that RJ has basically become like sorry, like King has become like Mr. Referee out of Metabots <laughs> at this point. It's amazing. It's like yes. he's verified every line of this article. It's great. Go carry on. Don't mind me. Um, <laughs> 
Yes, um, I'm looking down here. I don't, I don't see anything about sound so much. I see a lot of, um, a lot of about desire to make drivers drive harder at all times. Um, a higher petrol limit of 105 kilograms. Um, I didn't see anything about sound here. Um, yes, nothing about in noise. the press release. There was one line about sound above the line about cheaper road relevant engines where they said it was one line and it was the first line is that they aim to improve the quality of sounds produced from the engine they did not say anything about noisier engines they, they said that was first line they want to improve the quality of sound yeah right. but again the problem is not the noise it's the pitch and the thing is, it's so vague. It's so vague. Yes. Like every, it's just like every tricky and it's it's typical FIA. Yeah, it's, it's exactly it's it's vague enough to say that they're gonna give us noisier to to have the clickbait headline. They're gonna give us noisier engines. Yeah, it just seems like like you mentioned. It's like it seems like. This is vintage FIA where they're just so vague about it. It's like, we'll come back and figure this out later. It was the same deal when me and King on this show analysed what ended up becoming these 2017 cars back in 2015 when they first announced the press release for that, saying they're going to have aggressive aero and add five seconds to lap times, which... Gonna make them look mean. Gonna make them look mean, basically. Yeah, be a, be a, the um, let's just say the cars made booty calls out there um, <laughs> on several occasions. <clears throat> but um, yeah, you get the gist of the conversation here is that basically the FIA mentioned nothing about making the engines louder. And of course, half of F1 Twitter gets a hard on because it's like, oh, they could bring back louder engines. Bring back the V10s, fam. Bring back the V10s. They sounded <sighs> amazing. Look at this hour of on-board footage of natural sounds. It's great. But like... Even if you take all their aims into like consideration, it's not really anything concrete. It's pretty much saying, here's our cake recipe. Hopefully, we can make cake in a couple years' time. <laughs> <laughs> this is the weirdest episode of Chopped I've ever heard of. <laughs> King, like... King, please, whatever you do, don't ever be an entrant on the Great British Bake Off, ever. <laughs> oh like, you just sit there and go, yeah, listen, guys, I've got all my ingredients here. I'm going to come back in two series time. No, 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 it's not, like, it's not like I don't even have any ingredients. It's like, okay, here's a list of things I know people like in cake, and uh, I have the list here. Hopefully, I can make that cake with everything that everyone likes in a couple years just give me time i swear i can make this perfect cake that everyone will love hmm, i suspect yeah. that paul hollywood will not be giving ryan king a handshake for that for that fine display <laughs> of cake he's got in front of him nah buddy buddy, buddy valastro would be disappointed <laughs> i love that like we've gone transatlantic here like like we've got chalk references and bake-off references because bake-off at this point in this country is a national institution <laughs> like, <laughs> like like, would you believe it or not, like, a quarter of the country watched the last year's final. It's, it, like, that's how big this has become over here. But okay, okay, okay. Positives to take from this. At least they know what we want. Who is this we? <laughs> I'm, motor I'm, racing fans in general. Who they are motor racing that we fans want... in general? I have no I, idea. I don't know. I don't even know either. They just assume to be... 
assuming that people want powerful power units that are cheap to to develop and produce and that will allow the drivers to drive harder at all times. I just assume that's what people want. King, you know and what it sounds like to me? It sounds like buzzwords to me. This, this... I don't even know what buzzwords means anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's everything. Everything is a buzzword now. <laughs> that's like that's what it seems like to me. But like again, it seems that the F. Okay, it's nice that the FIA seems to be acknowledging that the hybrids do have a noise problem, and you know, some people will say, especially once they go to Grand Prix, we're not all made of money, Connors. But at the same time, like saying things like, "Yeah, you know, I'd like to have my eardrums back." That's understandable because like, they're not as loud as they were back in the day. You can actually have a conversation in the middle of a race. That's I think that's actually quite a good thing. And as Matt said, I think the pitch is where you need to be aiming your problems at and not, you know, the the, the level of decibels these engines yeah. produce in terms of noise. Maybe having you like, could get a higher pitch out of a four-cylinder engine. Just throwing that out there. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Four sounds small. I, I don't know what that means in terms of, like, size, but four sounds small. Yeah, that's... Four sounds small, and they could have had Porsche in F1 by now if it wasn't for the fact that F1 was not willing to go to inline fours. God damn it! Should have gone inline fours. Like, that was the biggest mistake ever. Shouldn't have listened to Ferrari. Like, what? For, what? I don't care if Ferrari leaves. Ferrari can leave it all I care. Go to four. Says, says the Mercedes fan right here. <laughs> no, but hey, hey, Ferrari leaves want... Formula 1, and then they go back to LMP1. What, what a great... Everyone wins. We're, we're great move. Yeah. We 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 could see like LMP one is going through that golden age that everyone was predicting with all of two manufacturers. Yes, ah. and two cars with very distinct identities. Of course, they launched the new prologue in Monza, Italy, which was pushed back a week because the Pope was in town. Uh, that's actually yes. a true story. Um, yep. We saw the first <laughs> photos of the 2017 Porsche 919, which is white black and red and the 2017 toyota tso 50 which is red white and black two very distinct identities um totally totally not uh in any way uh going to be mistaken for each other totally not in any way just going to drive everybody to watch lmp2 and the gt class instead that's actually yeah that's what full that's what full technical freedom gives you (laughs) so I want, I, 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 I want the WEC to pull the rank and say, Porsche, you're the reigning champions. You get to keep the livery. Toyota, your car has to be yellow now. Sorry, I mean, but, them, but Toyota, the rules. Yeah, but like, what question to, for Toyota? What was wrong with blue? Like, the, their, their 13 and 14 cars were just fine. They looked fine with the blue. What happened? Why? I don't, like, Denso as a, as a brand, I'm guessing, because their colors are red for the most part, I'm guessing. But yeah, not yeah. pretty. Let's steer this back to Formula One um, because we have the Chinese Grand Prix coming up. It's one of the largest attended events, um, one of the largest attendance races on the calendar. Um, And it's a homecoming for one driver who has gotten another big call up in Antonio Giovinazzi, who for the second race in a row is replacing Pascal Verline in the number 36 Sauber Ferrari delightful um okay sorry that was the internet comment in there not me i did not represent the internet y'all but um yeah in any case i mean giovanazzi we mentioned on last week's show he he was fantastic in australia had a fantastic weekend did a brilliant job filling in now this 
if anything, kind of plays on to what King was mentioning a couple of weeks ago, that this seems a little bit on the fishy side here now, because Juvenauts, they're saying that Juvenauts will take Wehrlein's place in China. They're saying also there's a good chance this might happen in Bahrain as well. So yeah. Wehrlein might not be back in the car till Russia, in, and that's in the month of May. So... I know they've got to get a lot of fitness in there in time, but yeah, you cannot this is do like sixty suspect. days worth of strength training in ten days, no matter how many days in a week you may think there are. John boys, anyone? Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but also on top of that, it's 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 kind of it's, it's a scary thought seeing that happen now, and I've lost my train of thought for a second there. Shit. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I said. Giovinazzi's coming in to replace him for at least another two rounds. And as you say, Pascal is... He's trying to cram in as much to as he can. Especially, and this is the point I was going to make now, the cars are pulling up to 8 Gs in the corners now. Because you need even more strength to drive these cars. I don't know if anybody saw the brilliant video. By the way, shout out to Liberty Media. They're doing a great job with the F1 YouTube channel. Um, showing an onboard lap, but showing the G-Force meter. On, yeah. As Lewis Hamilton was going round and seeing he was pulling six and a half G's coming out of the final corner. I mean, we're getting close to fighter pilot level, level G-force here. And, like, you can't cram that sort of training into a short amount of time. And if Pascal feels like he isn't ready to go, then he can't go, really. But it kind of makes you wonder. Like, I know Buxton kind of hinted at this because I know he's a big G of an artsy nut. But, it, like, is, could this be the beginning of the end for Pascal? Yeah, because if, like, when is going to be, like, when is Reddy going to be Pascal? Like, seriously, like, when is putting Pascal, Pascal Verlein in the car going to be better than having uh, Giovinazzi in the car? Because are you going to put Pascal back in the car and you're suddenly, like, a couple seconds off where Gio was? Like, why not keep Gio in the car? You end up with this NFL quarterback type situation where one gets hurt and another one comes in and he's just as good, maybe even better. And the guy that was hurt needs to come back and perform on the same level. And it's almost like you, it's almost like you might as well stick with the known quantity. And Marcus Marcus Erickson is the seldom used fullback. Just kind of (laughs) (laughs) blocking up front. Yeah, and King, like, this screams to me like a Dak Prescott-Tony Romo situation. I think you were kind of half-referencing that in what you were saying, but... Uh, I I think I'm referencing the more... The better, well-known situation. Sure. Yeah, where where you have the New England Patriots, late 90s, your star quarterback, Drew Bledsoe gets injured, and now you have to put in this rookie... Not even first round traffic. You got to put in this kid, Tom Brady, for a couple games until Bledsoe gets back on his feet. And lo and behold, oh, this kid Brady can play. Oh, to me, that's yeah. just preposterous. <laughs> <laughs> that never happens. Hey, hey, Mr. Atlanta Falcons fan over there. Adoptive fan. <laughs> I mean, I mean, tr- to be fair, um, to be fair, our, our the football teams are not the only thing collapsing in A-Town. <laughs> well then, okay. We have to talk about this, RJ. T- tell them about your man's highways. Um, um. So one of our main, so one of the major highways in the city of Atlanta, where I live close to, um, it just it caught on fire and then it collapsed. Thank goodness nobody was hurt. But now, um, I eighty five is going to be out of commission. It's at at a 
for a large chunk of metro Atlanta going right into the heart of downtown in a city that already has traffic problems. And this was before the Atlanta Braves, who, as of the time of recording, are getting shut out six to nothing in the top of the eighth. Um, oh, Jesus. Thanks, thanks so much for that. That was before the Braves put their new stadium uh, just north of the beltway around the city and was already one of the most congested parts of the other highway that goes through the middle of the city. Was Pascal Verlein responsible for the accident? Um, I mean... <laughs> Unconfirmed reports? <laughs> I mean, uh, that, that, that sounds about right. <laughs> some, but, some Atlanta rapper may have been involved. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, going back to Formula 1 for a minute here, I mean, yeah, Pascal Verlein, I mean, get well soon to the man, and... I will say this as well. I don't like the fact that many holier than now F1 figures are acting like, oh, you know, like, oh, like he should know better. Like, like Martin Brundle on the grid was saying something along the lines of, in my day, we would just take some painkillers and get on with it. Uh, we Shut still up, Martin that. Brundle. But, but the thing is, like, again, it's not about, you know, physical pain. It's more about, you know, stamina. Exactly. But, like, Brundle, his comments are ridiculous. Yes. But there is. There's another side of this argument that's actually legitimate. Where people have looked into this and the practice like the practice sessions that Pascal did participate in, he was slow. And we're talking like consistently slow, not over like any long distances, but over a single lap. Where he was around three to four seconds slower than Marcus Erickson out there. And it seems like some people say it seems like he's saving face by not driving because if he's not up against Marcus Erickson, then he's, you know, his standing in terms of driver skill is where it's at. It can't go down. So you're, you're basically saying that Pascal might be trying to protect his, his already diminishing stock by not driving the car and leaning on that injury a little bit, basically. <laughs> yes. It's, it's, and it, it just... It shifts the question to, is he slow because of him not being in physical condition, or is it a question of driver skill, which, again, we don't know 100% for sure, but it shifts the question to something that's very interesting, but not... It's not being talked about. Yeah, that that goes a little bit into conspiracy theory territory to me, but... That is an interesting question, to be honest. Oh, but since when yeah, has like, F1 we, crafted a ridiculous conspiracy <laughs> theory? Like, like, never. Right, never. I brought this on like, myself. The, 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 the only reason I brought that up, because there's, you know, concrete evidence. There's like, oh, they had about the similar amount of, you know, time and practice mm-hmm. driving out there. So mm-hmm. you could actually say there's an apt comparison. Yeah, so that's interesting. I didn't realize that Verline's practice times were so off the pace, but I mean, that does open the door to asking the fair question as to whether Pascal is is still driving hurt from the injury he got at the Race of Champions, or is there more to it than that? I mean, some and, say. And then there's yeah. other, yeah. like, other oh. things saying that Total Wolf doesn't mind that Pascal is choosing not to come back, and it goes into this whole question of he doesn't mind because... There's no specific deal in place with Sauber because Sauber runs Ferrari engines. So Ferrari doesn't mind getting Giovinazzi more experience, while Toto doesn't mind uh, Pascal not driving because they're not supplying Sauber any engines. So they don't really 
have anything to lose by Pascal not driving. They have RJ's mans now for that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a whole, like, you're getting into this pseudo-conspiracy slash political, like, all the, like, things behind the F1 Grand Prix curtain. We're, talk we're talking, like, Hunter Ray, Paul Genalozzi levels of pseudo-conspiracies, and that one eventually came true. As we've mm -hmm. yeah, we're, ta we're talking about the the we're talking about the F one deep state here. Yeah, interesting dark stuff. For, dark in Formula the... One. Show me the driver. <laughs> show me the driver MRIs. The, the the forbidden the forbidden fruit of Formula One right here. The dark side. F one yeah. after dark. But um, King, tell him about the Renault Driver Academy. <laughs> oh, the Renault Driver Academy has two new additions. Yes, it has uh, the. Two, I would say they were listed on motorsport.com's top 10 young karting prospects to watch. Ah. We have uh, the Spaniard uh, Marta Garcia, and we also have uh, the Danish uh, Christian Lundgaard. Yes. Very Danish name. Um, yes. <laughs> um, and why, why is the first name Garcia very important, especially in the context of what we were talking about? Um, towards the beginning of the episode and trying to get trying to focus more on women involved in motorsport um, from a participation standpoint because because it's Marta Garcia it's a 16 year old Spanish teenage girl hey yes. yeah. a young talented prospect who's talented and just so happens to be female lit fantastic awesome. <laughs> yes, and if if that name sounds familiar, I probably mentioned her on an I'll probably mentioned her in passing on an earlier episode during a motorsport.com interview. They interviewed um uh Michelle Mouton, the president of the FIA Women in Motorsport and Commission. Do not for, and, she, and do not forget former World cha Rally Championship runner up. Yeah, runner up r multiple time WRC Rally winner and yeah, she mentioned she pegged Garcia as her go-to driver to possibly make it all the way to the top to Formula One. And I think not her, but someone else on the motorsport.com staff mentioned her that she had garnered her nickname, calling her the Mini Alonzo. Oh, Ooh. good nickname. Is she, is she going to get really salty at her engines too? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I've, I've not read any interviews from her. I don't know what her personality is like. <laughs> Best of luck to Marta and, and Christian as well. That's that's really really cool to see. That's a, you know, you know, another woman climbing up the ranks. I mean, this is the kind of thing where we're gonna have to take our time on it. This is, this is gonna be a long game. So I'm glad that this yeah. that, uh, we're seeing something like this happening, guys. Yeah, I, one, let's, let's go one to refresher Indy. though. One refresher because I I don't want anyone to bring this up in the comments. The quote where I mentioned Marta Garcia in, in passing was. Michelle Mouton mentioned they're in terms of women in single seaters. They're improving a lot, but just like the boys, they need a budget and equal material to succeed. It's not easy. Single seaters isn't a discipline where we have the most women, but I'm confident that Marta Garcia, who has started in Formula Four, can go much further. She's been very successful in karting. She's very young, and I think she's very promising. And then later on, um, unfortunately. Uh, the the editor who asked the, another question: Do you think the FIA should, you know, fund women in motorsport to you know make the jump from carding to single seaters? She said, "No, that is not the FIA's job. The FIA should shouldn't be funding anyone to go into motor racing, 
they should help promote them, but not you know fund them. And maybe yeah. maybe that's not really. It, it's it's more. It would be more appropriate if there were other women involved in motorsport to have a say on that particular subject. Um, maybe perhaps more than us, but um, on the whole, good for Marta Garcia. Yeah, Absolutely. good for Marta Garcia. Mm-hmm. I Absolutely. mean, what one added thing should be noted. The FIA's promoters of the World Motorsport, of the World Endurance Championship, at one point in time, banned women from competing. So I'm just saying, it could, you know, help us get back to where we should be if, you know, the organizations that previously banned women helped more to get women involved. Hmm. Mm. Almost like they owe them something. Um, so, yeah, moving on quickly. Let's talk about IndyCar. Yeah, we're going to fly uh, over the Pacific into Long Beach, California. We're we're having our next race, but um, that's not the big story of the week. Um, We're getting a glimpse of the future, and the future is coming, and it's looking good. Oh, it's it's, it's so it's so bright that I need to like wear a pair of shades on top of a pair of shades. (laughs) It's 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 Elizabeth Worth levels of bright at this point. Uh, hi Lizzie. Just blind um, us all with the beauty. Yeah, it's just one of those things. But yeah, like it is the 2018 IndyCar. Does not like they, they've they've revealed the 2018 spec aero kit for next year's Horizon IndyCar series. Ching, and um, my God, they look stunning. Uh, <laughs> they they are. look like an IndyCar should have looked like for years and years and years, and now we're getting back to that kind of look. We've kind of ditch the uh the rear bumper guards over the rear wheels that are kind of an eyesore that were supposed to kind of prevent cars from going up in the air but never really did the job that well at some scenarios cars still went up in the air anyway (laughs) yeah Um, indeed they're uh they're very aesthetically pleasing the the renders of the concepts are available on indycar.com you can get a look at them for yourself i personally think they look great and I'm sure everybody else will agree. Not only Absolutely, that, but yes. Kale Putnam did uh, the Photoshop with uh, Simon Pagano's livery on that, and it looks absolutely amazing. Oh, the Maynards, the mustard yellow. It's mm-hmm. it's it's the fl- the fluorescent highlighter pen. It's a beautiful thing, <sighs> um, and, it, and it feels like it just takes the best elements from, like it has a look of. The car late nineties, like not like like late nineties car, like early two thousand champ car, a, a dash of Formula One with you know the 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 arrow front, like the arrow shaped front wing. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think I think they look fantastic, and um, yeah, I can't wait to see how they they look in person. I want to see a full. I want to see a full. F- version of the car in the flesh asap indycar get on that please and like (laughs) besides of how they look another thing they emphasize is like with this design they they moved away from having they moved as much downforce as they could away from being produced by the wings to being produced by you know the floor of the chassis Mm -hmm. itself so the Ah! cars could run closer together Ah! yes 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 um, also, I, I heard. Uh, so, sorry, I heard that they were going to test the the cars. I think on on during the summer. Not sure if that, that yes. was just a rumor. Yes, yet. during the summer. It's it's going to be a similar program to what they did with the DW12 during the summer of 2011. Mm-hmm. Where they ran it a couple times during the summer to see how well the car did in real world environments. Yeah. Can't Guys, 
it's like IndyCar gets it. It's like they get how to promote good racing. And like, why can't F1 take a page from this? Ground effects aero. Aero generated off the floor and not the wings. Dirty air be gone. This is beautiful. IndyCar knows because... how to speak in memes. Yeah, and I mean, it's... Oh, God, I don't want to talk about politics, but there's something called legislative inertia like once you do something it's easier to keep heading down that path and indycar is already headed down like the ultimate end game indycar reached you know spec series they know what happens when all the cars are alike so we might as well develop a car that you know race races well together if like if if we can't have cars that are different anymore because it's far too expensive we got to do with the best with what we got, so we got to produce the best racing that we can out of these cars. Absolutely. Um, I yeah, know we're I just wait. one race into the 2017 season, but can we go to 2018? <laughs> yeah, can we just hit fast <laughs> yeah. forward, like, right now? Yeah, also solid. So, any predictions for Long Beach before we move on real quick? Um, I am predicting a pretty good outing from from the same from the same Honda contingent that looked really good. I believe that Scott Ditson will probably get his win back um, at Long Beach. Um, I would also say J.R. Hildebrand has a pretty solid track record at Long Beach from the last time he was there. Like he's got a number of top fives and top ten finishes. He's better at it than people might think. So if you're playing fantasy IndyCar, that might be a good value pick, a very solid one. In fact, he's very yep. cheap. Mm-hmm. He's very cheap. Um, that's very interesting. I've got to sort my team out now. You mentioned that shit. True. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, and also I expect qualifying to like qualifying is going to play a big role, and also. Um, I don't think Scott Dixon will like it very much. Well, it depends on the outcome. Strategic shenanigans will definitely occur at Long Beach. Yes, uh, I yes. do. Um, the the Castroneves stand deep within inside me hopes that he can get back into the lead and that Penske will not actually screw up this year. <laughs> I, did, I still have not forgiven them for that. But Matt, what does Helio Castroneves still have? Hair. Damn Great you. hair. Magnificent <laughs> hair. Matt, you must ruin everything with your presence. <laughs> right. Um, stick Dre? to removing NWO shirts in a hurry. How dare you? <laughs> Just don't stick to removing jackets in a hurry, my friend. <laughs> um, Dre, you saw yes. British touring cars. Yes, I did. Like, we, all three of you, please stop asking me to watch the British touring car series now. I did. It was decent. Okay. It was fun. The whole thing started with Colin Turkington and Matt Neal hitting each other after three seconds. It was great. <laughs> Basically, I can't remember the last time I laughed so hard at a motorsport event was when, like, it's like, and the BTCC season is go, and it's, you know, it's like Neil and Turkington hit each other and they spun out on the side of the road. It's fantastic. <laughs> I died laughing. And I was like, so this is the series you guys love so much. <laughs> yeah, I can see why now. And yeah, it was at Brands Hatch. It was the indie circuit, so it's not the full thing. It's the short version. Like, so you're looking at like 47 second laps, 24 lap races, and it was fun. Um, great, good action throughout the field. Like Turkington was really solid. He, I mean, he very nearly won race three as well. Andrew Jordan just about held him off um, in the end to take race three. Ingram was was very solid. Colin was fun. Like Plato had a hellacious wreck in race two. 
as well. Um, lucky to walk out of that one okay. And then we mocked him because he's Jason Plato, basically. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was, it was a big accident there. He missed races two and three as a result. But, yeah, just overall a really fun weekend. I enjoyed it. I might even come back later in the season because I thought it was a decent weekend of action. It was actually quite fun being able to juggle that World Superbikes in Aragon and BSB's opening round at Donington Park as well with Leon Haslam taking a double as Shaky Burn missed out via a concussion. Um, I must admit, on a side note, quite nice to see that BSB did one better than MotoGP and actually spotted when a guy had a concussion and removed him from a race weekend. Dorna, I'm looking at you on this one. Um, Letting Petrucci ride last year in Aragon, I was not a fan of. So, yeah, I'm glad that uh, BSB did the right thing and pulling Shaky Burn from the weekend. He was really mad about it. He could tell he wanted to be out there so bad. And he probably could have rode, but yeah, second impact syndrome, concussions, no. I'm glad that they, they they took the right step to fix that one. And yeah, shout out to Leon Haslam. What a fantastic double victory. Not that it really matters because showdown format. Playoffs, y'all. Basically, at this point. But, playoffs? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. We talk about playoffs. But uh, yeah, you know, I'm not going to explain the playoff rules again because they're a waste <laughs> of time and I hate them. You but, can listen um, to Bike Live on the Motorsport 101 Network for that. Ah, nice segue, sir. Yes, yes, indeed. We'll be talking about all of that. We'll be talking about Jonathan Ray and Chaz Davis splitting a win between them in what could already be a championship deciding moment in race one in Aragon as Chaz Davis bottles the lead again, unfortunately. And we'll be talking about all the action from Aragon as well as the very first Superstock 300 race, which was very intriguing, as well as the BSB round from Donington Park as Leon Haslam took a fantastic double in that one as Shaky Burn was pulled out from a concussion and seeing some other really nice performers up there like Luke Mossy as well, the young the young stud as well. We'll keep an eye out for that later this week. Most likely the Friday, but we'll get we'll, we'll keep in touch on that one. We'll keep you posted on our social media regarding that. So all of that and most likely a MotoGP preview of Argentina this weekend as well. So, one more major story before we hit the mailbag. King, might Nightvolt might actually be a thing? <laughs> yes. Uh, it might actually become a thing. Because uh, Jean Tant, president of the FIA, revealed that before the end of the year, that he specifically, like, quote, in December this year, we will open an FIA Hall of Fame. It is something that we've been working for, working on now for two or three years. We will have one Hall of Fame in Paris and one in Geneva. But when you see some of the people who could be representative, some have unfortunately passed away but when you see the images around it it is fascinating and uh i'm only i have so many questions but i'm only gonna guys we're we're gonna shut up now ryan king uh, has the floor for the next 15 minutes first of all just first of all just want to say gimmick infringement Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) gimmick infringement hall of fame trademark world wrestling entertainment how dare you but um carry on king the floor is yours (laughs) yeah i i've one question, and that was specifically, you know, brought up because of this statement. There'll be one Hall of Fame in Paris and one in Geneva. I could see why they chose Paris. Paris is the obvious place to have any motor racing Hall of Fame. It's where racing was started and was pretty much the center of the racing world until 
the Second World War. But Geneva, that is, mm. yeah. There's not mm. a lot of a lot of lot of circuit racing history in Geneva, especially in the last sixty-two years. Yes, not in the last sixty-two years because motor racing has been banned in Switzerland since nineteen fifty-five. Ah, mm-hmm. kind of a problem. Yes, I know the FIA has one of their headquarters there. And I know it was a question that was brought up in the article on motorsport.com. They don't know if it's going to be a public, like, if it's going to be open to the public like many other Hall of Fames. Or whether it's going to be, like, private invitation only. Yikes. Mm. But, ugh, like, to me, having two Hall of Fames, you might as well have none by that sentiment. Because... I agree. You have, like, Hall of Fames... When you have a physical Hall of Fame, it's not only like a a Hall of Fame, it's also a museum dedicated to the history of whatever is being covered in that Hall of Fame. And then you have two separate museum collections. So you can go to one Hall of Fame and literally only see half the museum. That sounds really stupid. (laughs) And confusing, too. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And you end up having this situation where you kind of have to question why have to because now it'll be forever etched in history that Geneva is the home of one of the FIA's Hall of Fames you can't erase that fact once you build it it was there you can't erase it (laughs) because here in the United States we we did pioneer the sports Hall of Fame our the oldest and most storied Hall of Fame is the National Baseball Hall Hall of Fame and Museum. Before we get to that, we go to the other ones. We have the National Basketball Hall of Fame, which is in Springfield, Massachusetts, where basketball was invented. We know that. That's a fact. We have the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That's in Canton, Ohio, Mm -hmm. where the NFL was founded. That's a fact. (laughs) Hockey's Hall of Fame's a lot more complicated, and I'm probably not the most qualified person to talk about this, but it, it's in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. It wasn't originally there. Hockey was not founded in Toronto, but due to reasons which I'm not qualified to talk about, it ended up in Toronto. But Where's you, corners but, when you need her? But if you <laughs> a, but if you ask most Canadian hockey media, you will tell the, they will tell you that um, hockey revolves around the city of Toronto at all times, 24 hours a day, eight days a week. <laughs> RJ, stop throwing the shade. (laughs) Yes. So, again, bringing it up, putting a Hall of Fame in Geneva creates some problems. (laughs) I still can't believe this is happening. (laughs) Now we go to the most famous sports Hall of Fame. The National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum is located in rural upstate New York in the small town of Cooperstown, which has become synonymous with baseball. The reason it is in Cooperstown is because Civil War hero Abner Doubleday invented baseball in in 1839 in Cooperstown. One summer day, he originally planned a game, 11 players aside, modern baseball was invented there. And 100 years later, in 1939, 100 years after that first game, the National Baseball Hall of Fame Museum was open there. Except there's one problem. Everything, well, almost everything I just said was a lie. 
Abner mm-hmm. Doubleday did not invent the game of baseball. In fact, he was not in even in Cooperstown the summer of 1839. Oh, God. He was in another part of New York. He was in West Point. He was in West Point, New York at the United States Military Academy. <laughs> what? <laughs> yes. Um, the wow. National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum was founded off of a lie. <laughs> and I I'm going to go into... D- Wow! Oh my god! No, fake news is one thing, fake history is a whole different beast. The story of why this happened is is an interesting one that I'll sum up shortly. Um, Albert Spaulding, he founded the, the National League in baseball. The Nat was one of the major one of the two major leagues. And you probably basketball fans know him because Spalding, that's the official basketball of the NBA. If you ever pick up a basketball, it probably says Spalding on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he funded um, he, he funded an, an investigation to find how did baseball become America's national pastime? The seemingly, the seemingly popular game out of nowhere became a widespread national thing. And a lot of people believe that the game ev- evolved from the British game known as Rounders. And Uh-oh. America, being America, did not want to admit that our national pastime was actually British. <laughs> of course you didn't. <laughs> did you, it, Mr. America? The story is actually more complicated than that. The game is partly evolved from rounders and partly evolved from cricket, but that's a story for another day. Um, Spalding organized a baseball world tour to spread America's game worldwide. <laughs> oh, God. It involved games being played in, I think, they went to New Zealand, they went to Australia, they went to Sri Lanka, they went to India, they played a game in the shadow of the Sphinx in Egypt, they played a game in in a park in Rome, they played, uh, they played a game at the Crystal Palace in London, oh, wow. and they came back to fanfare... And they thought that the places where they played the game, baseball would become the number one sport in those countries. Uh, and what um, I'm pretty sure baseball is played in none of those places today. Yeah, it's like a pretty failed much. attempt by the Major League Baseball at its so manifest destiny. Yes. And when they arrived to fanfare... Back in New York, they had this great dinner at this iconic New York restaurant, uh, Delmonico's, which sadly doesn't exist anymore. Mm. Um, they had uh, a dinner where they announced the findings of this research, and they said that baseball was not was not a descendant of rounders. And the crowd <laughs> chanted, no rounders! And it was a crowd of 300 people, which included um, Mark Twain was there. Oh. And he said, through patriotism and research, we have found that our Civil War hero, General Abner Doubleday, invented baseball. Abner Doubleday was not there, and Abner Doubleday claimed that he had never even seen a game of baseball in his life. <laughs> So this probably means he's qualified to take over as the general manager of insert least favorite baseball team here. <laughs> Delightful. This wasn't this was in eighteen eighty eight. They knew that like um yeah, the like people people claim that yeah, Double Day didn't do this and but they buried it under the rug for decades and decades. And then, you know, eighteen eighty eight slowly becomes um 1939, and somehow uh, the 
people in Cooperstown like, oh, we found the baseball they played the game with. Let's build a museum around it to have people come to our town. <laughs> and then, bam, Major League Baseball decides, hey, let's make this our Hall of Fame. That's an amazing story. <laughs> Feel the dreams. Build it and they will come. Yeah, build it and they will come. Uh, more recent years, the the Hall of Fame and Museum have acknowledged that that story is a myth. I think a couple years, like, I think three years ago, they officially recognized that it wasn't true. Like, uh, Abner Doubleday was never inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh the true, the true person who invented modern baseball as we know it today, uh, Alexander Cartwright, he actually wrote the rules of modern baseball in Brooklyn. Baseball was actually invented in Brooklyn. <laughs> we, oh, wow. Through historic research, we found out that Alexander Lloyd Cartwright, the head of the, a team which no longer exists, the New York Knickerbockers, short mm-hmm. the New York Knicks, uh, they mm-hmm. invented baseball and ha- played the first game across the river from New York City in New Jersey. Um, yeah, they invented baseball, but uh, it wasn't acknowledged until, like, I think the 70s, the 1970s. And, like, the Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum did not acknowledge that until uh, about three years ago. They didn't acknowledge that. Three years ago, they announced that they put out a press release saying the museum opened its doors a hundred years after the first first mythical game was allegedly played in Cooperstown. That was their first ever acknowledgement that that game never took place. So I think it's safe to say at the end of this, you're not keen on a Hall of Fame in Geneva. No, because you you need to you need to pick a game. You need to pick a location that's actually significant, because then it's easy to create a false history that will you know last. A century later, <laughs> that last Put it Coda. Put it in Coda. <laughs> like we don't, we don't want to open a situation where someone can create a false narrative because it seems to make sense in people's heads and it sounds cool. That's like F one YouTube in a nutshell, basically. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yes. they've gone full circle. They've come full circle. Congrats and to come us. Th- congrats to us. Congrats to us. Let's get to the mailbag and then we can get out of dodge. But, um, yeah, let's just say Hall of Fame, stick to Paris. Hashtag please, stick, please to, stick Paris. to Paris. Paris has so much history, and I'll probably talk about it on a different episode, but I'll probably talk about the early history of racing in Paris on a different episode, but, man, that museum would have some stories to tell. I'm pretty sure the FIA are probably going to whitewash it, but, man, there was some dramas. There was some dramas. And that is all your reasons right there to tune in to those for one one later days. Friend of the show, Rhino GT4 asks, "How much do you think Vettel could benefit from Bottas possibly taking some points away from Hamilton this season?" I guess that comes down more to how much of a threat do you think Vettel will end up being? I guess. Yeah, we're gonna have to wait until China happens so that we can see the true, the true potential of every of every single car on the grid because. It's been said many times that China is more representative of, of the tokodromes that litter the F1 calendar with long straights and uh, the tight corners. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, so after we see China, 
we might as well just uh, know what's going to happen for for this for the rest of the year. How if strong Zed is the narcotic? Yeah. The, the narcotic <laughs> is the narcotic is a, a defcon free right now. I'm in the mood of if Vettel wins in China, start believing basically. Mm-hmm. Um, if how like even though I'm considering putting like a good 30, 40 quid down on Hamilton winning this weekend, because like if I'm not going to be a narcotic, I'll at least be rich. Um, quite frankly, That's it's a good, it's a good compromise. Yeah. It's a good trade off in my opinion. I'm, I'm this is this is my life version of hedging my bets here. <laughs> Because I mentioned it on Sunday, Hamilton is hovering around the 11 to 10 sort of range, price-wise, to win in China. Um, Vettel is right behind him, about 6 to 4 right now, with the rest of the field way back. Like, Valtteri Bottas is like 6 to 1, and I'm saying, like, guys, that's your value play right there. Bottas to win at 6s, that's, that's a good value right there. Even each way, you can, you can get a decent result on that quite frankly, but yeah. Um, the Narcotic, well, my bottle of Mango Snapple is about it's got about a few dregs left at the bottom of the bottle. So I need more, quite frankly. But um, if Earl wins in China, start believing. <laughs> start believing. Um, Henry Chapman asks, what is the most underrated race series in your opinions? Ooh, I would have to say most underrated, probably the Global Rallycross Championship. Because it's seen as the place where uh, our former X Games heroes go to retire, but the quality of racing they produce is a lot higher than you think it would be. When does oh. that start up? Did that start last weekend with the World Series? Yeah, that was the that was the FIA World Championship. Yeah, the FIA cool. World Rallycross. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Anyone yeah, uh, else last? last, just going off the GRC thing. Last month, a uh, group of friends watched the, um, the 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 final of the 2016 season, and I totally agree with that. That that last lap pass, I think, but was by Scott's wasn't by Scott Speed, was it someone no, else? No, no, uh, Brian Deegan. Yes, Brian Deegan. He took the Joker lap and like completely shot, shot through everyone up in first place, almost like a who was it? Kevin Erickson did the same thing in Water X on the first turn on Germany. Yes. Yeah, and also going off of that, I think that. Also, in a similar vein, I think the World RX deserves a lot more attention than they currently have, despite all the global all the global attention they already get, despite being sort of the internet darlings of the of the motorsport community. I think that they could use a lot more popularity. Yes, especially compared to like the star power of the drivers mm-hmm. that are yes. in the world championship, you would assume they would have a lot more coverage. Than sure. They already yeah, have. like we have Peter Solberg, we have Sebastian Loeb, we have. Matthias Ekstrom, who's also on DTM. Last year, he did double duty on DTM and the World X the same weekend in Hockenheim, which mm-hmm. was... Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's just... Yeah, it's, it's like... Um, it's still kind of unbelievable how it, how it, it hasn't gotten more popular already. It's been, they've been running this series for since 2015. It used to be the European one. Then it turned into the, a World yeah. Championship in 2014. No, I want to say actually 14. was 2014 because Petr Solberg won yeah, the first two championships. And so on, yeah. Yeah, that's. They decided to have a North American round, so. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah, they decided to have a North American round, so they qualified to become a world championship, and they took that option. Yeah. Neat. Anything else from RJ, real quick? Um, I I feel like it's too predictable for me to say this, but listen. um, (laughs) (laughs) I wonder wonder what RJ's gonna say. Mm. Mm. Listen, I. Mm. Listen, I enjoy watching the Super GT series. I enjoy watching the race themselves. And it's it's really a shame that it's taken this long for the series to get, like, a solid broadcast deal. Um, 
over outside of Japan, which is really just kind of uh, a, which is really just kind of not really even a really a that great of a broadcast deal. If I'm being honest, um, it's it's surprising it's taken so long because like any every one of us has played a Gran Turismo. We know yes. we know the cars. Yeah. Yes. We, know yeah, like, that, we know that they're pretty uh, awesome. We just haven't like, been able to see them race. Very yeah, like off so of lovely. my like raw instinct, when I heard that PlayStation View was gonna be a thing, I thought like the first thing they were gonna get, they were gonna get the they were gonna get the rights to Super GT on PlayStation View. That that would be their big selling point. That Although would be I will so say sick. that the first race is this weekend, and it will be on Nismo TV on YouTube. So do check it out when you get a chance. It's yes. gonna be a good season. I really enjoy the series. The racing is fantastic. Um, the drivers are all of the toppest, the highest quality, um, I would say, on the par of the WEC in general. And it's just a shame that it's taken this long for the series to really take a foothold outside of its home country. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to cheat here and say Moto3. Like, like not. Like, I think it's in the context of MotoGP, obviously everyone's. Like, it's the bike crowd. It's the pinnacle of bike racing. Of course, it's going to be popular. But the contrast of people that only watch the top flight series and not the support leagues, Moto2 I'm not so bothered about, but Moto3 is some of the finest racing you will ever see in your life, ever. It is completely manic. This past round at Qatar last week was the definition of that. 13 bikes in contention for the win, some of them going five or six wide on the home straight in Qatar, trying to find the right line to go through. A brilliant race, Joanne Mir, John McPhee representing the British Talent Cup was in there this year as well, and he's now all of a sudden the second most experienced man in the field, which is really weird at how and fast like, it's possible. I, I think one thing that we never state when we talk about Moto3, about how close and how big the packs are, mm-hmm. that you may... Like, the first thing you assume when you hear packs, like 17 bike packs, you like you just assume it's like a lottery. That, oh, anybody could win this race. No, no, no. You really have to be good. When Dre says you have to find the right line and you, and you have to find where the speed is. Generally, the guys who are fast in Moto3 will be fast elsewhere, like in other classes. Absolutely. I mean, you look at guys like... In restarts, Maverick Vinales, who was a Moto3 champion in 2013, who was arguably one of the great MotoGP Grand Prix motorcycle racing championship fights ever with himself, Alex Rins, who's now in MotoGP himself for the Suzuki factory team, and Louis Salom, rest in peace, who who had like the, one of the great freeways in there. And who was fourth in the title that year? Jonas Volga, who's now made his MotoGP debut with Tech 3 this year. The guys that are really good in Moto3 tend to make it into the top class eventually anyway. And of course, Maverick Vinales just won his first Yamaha race and is now championship favorite in MotoGP. So if you ever want to see a glimpse of the future as well, Moto3 is the way to go. Like the guys that are at the front, like right now, Joanne Mir, maybe Nicolo Buliger, Romano Fanati, etc., Nicolo Antonelli. Those guys could very well be in GP one day. And seeing them rise through the ranks is really, really cool to see. And as, yeah. as King said, the skill on display to be a consistent frontier contender is amazing. Look at someone like Miguel Oliveira a couple of years ago who just had this ridiculous knack of always being in the right place at the right time in an eight-bike pack for the win. They very nearly stole the title under Danny Kent's nose that year because he was so good in the second half of the season. So for me... 
in the contrast compared to MotoGP, more people need to watch the support classes. So I'm yeah. going to say Moto3 for me on that one as well. Like, I, I really call Moto3 the, the closest thing in motorsport we have to NXT, where it's like it's... The, the quality is so high, and even the guys who go into MotoGP a bit rough, you really get to see them turn into real superstars on these bikes, where they, yeah. come, they go in rough and they come out real talents. You can see that they're faster than when they, when they came in. Yeah, again, I said Maverick Vinales might be the, the brightest example of that outside of maybe Mark Marquez who shot up through the classes in, 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 in recent times, but absolutely agreed. That's where the brightest talent tends to be. Final question. Actually, no, two questions, actually. My bad. Um, Brian Shadowwolf asks, will Jensen Button be back in 2018 as Fernando looks to be leaving McLaren due to McLaren Honda's woes worsening? No. <laughs> <laughs> what makes you, you so had, sure? You had that project? one ready. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not happening. He's enjoying he is enjoying life after Formula One. He's not coming out of retirement. He doesn't need to. He's done enough. He can go do other things. True. Plus, it's gonna be what thirty eight by the time he comes back. Then just uh, yeah. Are we are we well? I don't want to question Button's physicality here, but are, can, how can we be sure he's gonna be in peak physical condition to drive these new cars? He's a triathlete, Matt. Yeah, that's the least. Physical condition is not the least of his worries. It's whether or not he's going to want to do it. I don't think he. I don't think he's going to want to do it. I said before the end of 2016 in Abu Dhabi, that looked like a man who was at peace and Mm -hmm. or drunk. Um, Both. (laughs) He was at peace drunk. That works too. Um, So that's how I looked at it, at least. yeah, you know, as you do. But mm-hmm. I, I don't think Jensen's coming back. I, I, Jensen hasn't really got a good reason to come back. I've said that before. The backup quarterback role is the best role in sports. You, <laughs> you basically you get you get paid to sit on your bench and drive a car around some some you know some streets for a little while, and and you still get to be on McLaren's payroll. It's fantastic. Like seriously. Yeah, like, and the thing is, I think other people are more eligible to be in that seat than than Jensen is like for a variety of reasons like I I I really feel that whoever replaces whoever replaces Alonzo is going to be Japanese and it's not like because Honda like no I I think it's going to be Makina like Mm. uh, Makino yeah he said he was going to get up there in about two to three years yeah, and I think I think Alonso stays on for next year, and then probably leaves the year after, and then and then you know he comes in. Sounds interesting. I like the theory. The last question from Brian Glennon, who asks: With Liberty wanting twenty-five races and twenty-one on the schedule next year, which former tracks would you want to see return to make up the difference? Ooh. Like I have a feeling, Caesar's Palace. Fuck off! Get out! That bombshell. It's time to end it. Good night. (laughs) (laughs) Get out! (laughs) RJ is barfing. He Uh. has a one episode suspension for this blasphemy. (laughs) I guess I'm coming back next week. I think RJ is right in only one way that there will be a second American Grand Prix. Probably. Port Imperial. Well, I have a feeling it's probably yeah, it's going to be Port Imperial. Like, mm-hmm. despite me being a New Yorker, all my biases included. Th- me, I'm 
extremely pessimistic about any New York City motor racing mm-hmm. event. Port Imperial seems so high on the card that it's going to happen. It's yeah, um, this is gonna be a, f- a very far shot. What I would like to see Istanbul Park back. That's that is a that is like the the Tokadrome done right, and I don't think we've seen one of what, a, a track as great as that one in the past maybe 10, 15 years. Possibly Sepang, but that goes a little farther back. Now, is it anything like, it, like Constantinople Park? Like I have a feeling like the only way that they could fit. 25 races on the calendar. Races are going to have to be closer together. Like the only the only way they can do that is one word, Europe. It's they're going to be a lot more European races back on the calendar. Je- Hockenheim back. Hockenheim back. Yeah, Hockenheim Hopefully. back. There's like the Dutch are like foaming at the mouth for a race right now. <laughs> I mean, I didn't didn't Zandvoort say they were going to do, do some changes to try and get to grade 1? Yes, but I I don't think like they could upgrade to grade one, but it could still be an issue because mm-hmm. Zandvoort is a beach resort town. It's not really a city. It's not designed to have like a hundred thousand people swarm the town at once. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Inter- interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. Uh, I think that will just about do it for episode eight. If, if, if I have to say that the strongest candidate for a return, Portugal. I, I can I can see mm. Portugal coming back onto the calendar. But Estoril or Algarve? Newer, I, I think it's going to be Algarve. I would like yeah, it to that, be Algarve too. Yeah, Algarve is a very is a nice track. I think it would, it would be uh, perhaps a good, not a proper fit, but a good fit for Formula One. What yeah. I would also I would also like to see back is Nurburgring, but I don't think they have the the money to come back. Yeah, it's unless just... like I I know. Liberty, Liberty uh, Media has, has been saying that they, they want to get these heritage circuits back and mm-hmm. whether, you know, cutting fees would be a part of that. I could see them helping get the Nürburgring back because even to a lot of, like, Americans, because of Rush and other things like that, like the Nürburgring, they immediately make the connection to Formula One. So they would kind of want the Nürburgring back on the calendar. Yeah, nothing like that mainstream appeal. <laughs> yeah, that mainstream, that mainstream feel. Ultimate thrill ride, guys. <laughs> yeah, Durbergring. Worldwide pitbull. Rock our cast, crash and rumble. Yeah, we're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna move on without me to the pre-show now. <laughs> preseason race, preseason race. Um, yeah, and on that note, I think it's just about time we wrap this up. Um, okay, again, one more place, one more time. Basically, you can find us on youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101, facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101, at Twitter at motorsport underscore 101, then our personal Twitter is at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, that's with two Ks, at RJ O'Connell, and at Scudding Tour. Don't ask me why he calls his Twitter account that, it's still weird to me. <laughs> <laughs> Get Be more on brand, Matt, for God's sake. Um,. <laughs> But uh, in the meantime, thank you very much for watching. And don't forget to back us on Patreon as well if you really, really like us. Patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101. I've been Andre Harrison. They've been Ryan King, RJ O'Connell, and Matt Carnero. And until next time, thank you very much for listening. And we'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Later, y'all. Bye-bye. Bye. You are the world champion!
I tried. That's that's all I got, guys. Stick to the day job, King. <laughs> <laughs>